Frank, it's nice to see you here today. I understand you have a question too. Please go ahead. Thanks, Donna. Nice to see you too and nice to see all of you. Hi, Tom. That's um, right. So I've been contemplating something that we discussed a few months ago um, where we we talked about whether an IUOC has uh, specific fears. And I said, does that really make sense at the IUOC level, specific fears? And you then said, no, they're only expressed at the level of the avatar in a concrete game situation within the VR. And I found that logical. And then later on, um, maybe to sum it up for everyone who wasn't um, listening to that at the time, uh, I found uh, the following two quotes from you um, where you said something similar. So we start with an IUOC that creates a partition, a free will awareness unit to interact with an avatar. And we bring with that whatever amount of fear and ego and belief. We don't bring the individual and specific fears and ego expressions and beliefs of that entity but we bring along the proclivity, the potential for the fear, ego, and belief from that OC. Now, what we make of it, how we construe it, how we build it specifically has to do with our experience and interaction here with our new avatar. But we come in with a certain potential proclivity towards these things to be more fearful or less fearful or more self-centered or less self-centered. But then how we individually express that with our avatar or through our avatar depends on the avatar and the avatar situation and all sorts of other things. And another quote, you said specific ego issues and specific fears belong to the experience packet that generated them and thus disappear when one leaves that experience packet. However, one's consciousness quality is more or less continuous from one experience packet to the next. The level of that quality from the last experience packet generally determines how prone you are to developing new specific ego and fear interactions within the next experience packet. So now, if all that belongs, the specific fears and all that rather belongs to the avatar, I wonder how to reconcile this with the idea that we choose a specific avatar for an experience packet in order to work on specific issues or to learn the next lesson. So you sometimes give the example, for example, someone has to work on their anger management and and then they choose a specific avatar for that. But then, so you talk sometimes only of proclivities. And so if at the level of the IOOC, it's only about the overall level of entropy, which is the decisive factor, why does an IOOC need to work on specific issues? Wouldn't just any avatar be suitable that provides challenges that are not too easy and not too difficult? So I don't know if that's clear. Um, okay. What I'm driving yeah. at. Yeah, I can I can uh, speak to that, Frank. For the most part, just any avatar is probably good enough if it's at about the right level of challenge for you. That's generally the case. And it's good that that's the case because there's only so much you can do to match a you know a free will awareness unit and a or an IUOC and an avatar. Say, okay, this will be the great avatar for you because free will happens, and you know whatever the potentials are there, they could turn out to go any which way. So trying to make a a choice that this is the perfect avatar for you is not a very precise science. That's, there's a lot of guessing going on there by the system, something that looks like it's about at the right level of, of experience, uh, right level of, of challenge. 
But you can pick situations. You can say, well, here, you know, depending on on the discussion you have at the time of picking this this avatar, and, and sometimes the life review is part of that discussion. So let's say, yes, it's a it's an anger management problem. You tended to get angry about things. Well, you want to work on that. And maybe the last four or five or six of your of your incarnations, your anger's gotten you into trouble. And it's just been a continuing problem with you. Well, you might want to pick a next incarnation where you're unlikely to have that problem. Now, it depends on what your anger, you know, how, how that anger is triggered. But if you could pick a situation where you wouldn't be triggered so you could have a successful incarnation without an anger problem, that might help build some confidence so you could do even better the next time. So that would be trying to pick a very benign situation that didn't uh, that didn't have a lot of the issues in it that trigger your anger. But would you then say that this this anger issue is really is at the level of the IOOC or because I mean in general you have the overall concept of entropy and to me this sounds very like one dimensional. There's this one scale from high entropy to low entropy, from fear to love. So to me, that doesn't leave any room like how, you know, an anger issue is encoded in the data structure of the IUOC. You uh, see what I'm, I'm getting at? So, yeah, no. so is, it, yeah. is it actually multidimensional in the end or is it rather one-dimensional? Well, the, the uh, IUOC is the holder of all of the experience, okay? It's the summary of all the incarnations it has ever experienced that this Consciousness, this IUSC has ever experienced. So it looks at all of those, and when it looks at all of those, it can see trends and problems and issues. So that's how it comes up with that information. So it's got, uh, you know, I don't know, say it has, you know, a thousand incarnations, and it may do its own weighting. It may say, well, the last 10 are probably more important to consider, you know, than the, you know, than than from 90 to 100. Those were a long time back. There's been a lot of water under the bridge since then. So we'll, we can wait the whole thing. But we, we see there's a trend here. I keep getting into the same trouble in all my incarnations. You know, I can see I keep getting into that same sort of trouble. And from that analysis, then it can decide that certain incarnation might be more beneficial to it than, than some other. Um, we like to avoid a downward spiral that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. So let's say you had somebody who two or three incarnations in a row did some really horrible stuff. Well, you may want to then put them in a situation where horrible stuff is just hard to do. You know, the, you don't put them in a position where it's likely that they will ever have power to do horrible stuff. You know, it's something like that. So now you give them a couple of incarnations where they don't do horrible things. Well, that'll help build up a a little, you know, confidence that they can do better, that they can succeed. And then very, very slowly would you you'd let them be in a situation, you know, so they may have very limited incarnations for a while. You know, mm -hmm. maybe, they're, maybe they're born, you know, into a very poor region of the world that's entirely agricultural, lives in the mountains, and they herd sheep. 
then that's all they do. Well, it's hard to really be a destructive force, you know, from that viewpoint. You may be a terror in your family or maybe in your village, but you're, you're limited at the amount of damage you can do. So that may be helpful. So there are things that you can do to make it work better for you each time. But every time you pick one, you have to take whatever comes because you don't know exactly all the potentials you got there and which ones are going to happen and which ones the environment are going to select to, you know, to amplify and which ones the environment are going to, are going to uh, tamp down and, and uh, not amplify or amplify negatively, you might say. You don't know any of that ahead of time. All that happens as it happens. So because there's so much uncertainty, what you said at first is, you know, almost every incarnation is almost as good as any other because there's so much uncertainty in it. But for special cases, not a lot of the time, but sometimes you can pick situations that would seem to give you a higher probability of success or a lower probability of failure. And if you felt like you know, sometimes you will have the person who does the life review and they are not very grown up yet, but they're very hard over and convinced that if they had just been born with more resources, they wouldn't have made any of those mistakes. That the whole problem wasn't them, wasn't their low quality of consciousness at all. It was the fact that they were born dirt poor in this rough area. And that was why they didn't succeed. And that's why they haven't succeeded. They can always blame it on some other situation. Well, a person like that, if they are very hard over on that to where now their attitude is getting in the way of their growth, the system may indeed put them in a family where they have more money than they can spend and see what happens. And of course, most of the time they bomb out just like they did before because it didn't have anything to do with being poor. It had to do with making poor choices. Um, if I may add one last thought to that. So, um, I mean, even if you say that um, the analysis of the problem is looking at the le last, t let's say, 10 incarnations and then looking at what, what uh, the avatar or what, what the entity did with the avatars, still the issue that led to always running into the same problem must somehow be in the personality structure of the, of the IOS. So there must be something in it, right? It's maybe just right. difficult to point down it. And um, I was thinking of this also in the context of, for example, artistic skills, um, you know, um, that manifest in some, I mean, some children suddenly come up with musical talents or, or other artistic talents, although there's nothing running in their family, maybe. And so that also points that there is maybe something, some development of a personality trait at the level of the IOOC. So I was wondering whether you know, uh, a kind of more multidimensional growth model might be something that you um, have considered as well. Um, you know, I would always argue that the th from an evolutionary point of view, consciousness evolution, fear and love, cooperation and caring versus conflict is always the, the most important thing. Yeah, that's, um, mm -hmm. I mean, all, all the art in the world doesn't have uh, help you if you have uh, war and conflict. But from an evolutionary point of view, it would also be interesting to explore things like art, for example, because that's what makes that that's what uh, helps us evolve into new things and create create new things. So, yeah, that's why I was 
coming up with this question again also. I think as you lower your entropy, you tend to be more introspective, you tend to be more sensitive, you tend to think more about your your place within you know your culture. In other words, you if your entropy is lower, your consciousness quality is higher, you tend to have bigger pictures. You tend to be more sensitive. You tend to see and relate to more things. Whereas if you have a really uh, low quality consciousness, it's just all about you, period. You don't, you don't really see yourself in context with other people or in context with a culture or anything else. Well, if it's just about you and that's it, you're not going to be much of an artist unless you make really ugly art. <laughs> You know, you're not going to be much of an artist. There's not going to be much that, that people are going to look at it and really resonate with it, unless it's just negativity. You know, I mean, you could have art that was all just ugly things, you know, ugly pictures and so on, because ugliness is your theme. But I wouldn't, well, maybe that technically is art, but, you know, it's not what I think of as art. So people who are interested in art are interested in expressing inner feelings. They have to be aware that they have these inner feelings. They have to be aware of the context of these feelings within their larger culture, because art is meant to be shared. It's not just something you do and look at and then tear up and throw away. It's something that you do that is meaningful to people, whether the meaning they get from it is the same as yours or not, it's irrelevant, but somehow the images have meaning. And same with the music, you know, the, the music has to resonate with people. Otherwise, you're not really a musician, you're just a crank. You know, if it's only if you're the only one that likes your music, then that doesn't really make you a musician or an artist or something. You know, so that already is somebody who's a little more developed. So I think there's, you know, certain kinds of vocations and certain kinds of things require a little higher quality of consciousness to begin with, just to have the concepts, to have the idea, to see the bigger picture. So there's a connection there. And if you come in with a bigger picture, because the last couple of incarnations, you gained bigger and bigger pictures, then you're going to come in with proclivities toward doing big picture kinds of things. You know, you would be doing things that had a perspective that was bigger than just yourself. So we have trends like, you know, you have trends like that. So you can look at somebody and let's say, okay, last three or four incarnations, they were artists. Well, that's just one way of expressing bigger picture. They might also be, you know, philosophers or, you know, something else. So it gets us back to the idea that you come in with proclivities and those mm -hmm. proclivities may tend you towards certain kinds of occupations or things to do. If you come in and you're really interested in helping people because that was something that you did maybe previously and you really got a lot of growth out of it. Well, you may come in and really want to be a doctor or a nurse or a civil engineer or, you know, something else that's in the profession of doing things that helps a lot of people. That just may be the way you look at things, you know, and having a profession of driving a beer truck may not appeal to you because it's kind of insular. It's just about you and helping keeping the world in beer.
you know, you may not see that the same way. Not to put down people who drive beer trucks, but, you know, it just depends on how you come in and what you're connected to as to what feels good to you. And if, you know, if driving that beer truck feels like a good thing to do, it, it, it resonates with you, then that's what you should be doing. And there's growth there. You know, anything you do is worth, is worth doing well. So no matter what you do, whether you dig holes in the ground, you know, with shovel or whatever, doing it well and doing it proficiently and doing it efficiently, that's how you grow up is by doing whatever it is you do and excelling at it, doing it well, doing it in ways that it's helpful and useful. So it's not that, that you know, there's some professions that have no value in them. Every profession, every, every profession has value in it even digging holes in the ground. You know, there's a lot of value in doing that work that needs to be done. Somebody has to do that work. And if you do it and take pride in it and learn from it, then you can grow up a lot as it is digger. It's like the guy who was what the longshoreman and he unloaded freight off it from and two ships. And that's all he did. But he also was an intellectual and he wrote books and was a bit of a philosopher. So we have people like that doing all sorts of things just because that's where they landed. But proclivities you come in with a lot, and and the quality of your consciousness tends to choose some sorts of things and not choose others. Yeah, thank you. That that was uh, really interesting and, and helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. All right, Tom, we'll go on to another question from the MBT Forum. This is from Artur in Brazil. What if there's three questions, astrology, capitalism, and the LCS being finite. The first one, what is the MBT view of astrology? Would Tom uh, comment on it, especially because it seems to encompass past lives and soul development. So what is your MBT viewpoint on astrology? Astrology seems to be a, a mixture of a lot of things. A lot of what astrologers do, good astrologers do, is because of the astrologer themselves. Consciousness is the, is the, you know, the active ingredient in astrology, like anything else. Um, to kind of demonstrate that point. Astrology has to do with a person's birthplace, birth time, and the configuration of planets and moons and all sorts of other heavenly bodies. Okay. Astrology is a calculation of where these things are relative to where they were when you were born. And who can make the best and most accurate calculations? The computer. So astrologers have written computer programs that follow all the rules of astrology as they've been taught, and all of it can be written down as algorithms, and the computers can compute the locations of the heavenly bodies, you know, to 16 decimal places much faster and more accurately than any human could deal with them. Therefore, if that's all there were to it, was birth time, birthplace, and heavenly bodies, computers would be the best 
of all. They would do better than any other astrologers. Computers would be the, the really good astrologers would be the really good computers. But we find that's not the case. We find that the the horoscopes done by computers are so-so. They're okay. You know, people like them. They, they become published in the daily paper because they're really inexpensive. You don't have to pay the computer very much, you know, to spit those out every day. So they're popular, but the really good astrologers seem to be able to do much more than that. They can do things that are quite uh, amazing. I had a I had an astrologer do a, a swap with me. I was I had access to a computer and they wanted to see their biorhythms for you know the next twenty years or something, and that was easy for me. I could write that program you know in ten minutes, run it on a computer, and give them a two inch thick piece of printout, and I was done. And they were an astrologer, so they were going to do a reading, you know, their astrology workup for me, do a horoscope for me. And we made the swap, and I got the better deal because she gave me, it was a lady, she gave me a horoscope and predicted things and told me about my life and made predictions four, five, ten years in the future and so on. And it was accurate, unbelievably accurate. So I know personal experience that astrology can be very accurate. So to say, ah, there's nothing to it, you know, doesn't mean anything. Well, I know better. It does. It can be very accurate. But I give the credit of that not to how clever she was about calculating the positions of planets and moons. I give that to her because her intent was focused on getting information from the database about me and about probable futures for me and so on. And she got that information. So I think it, the, the active ingredient there wasn't the birth time, birthplace and heavenly body positions. I think the active ingredient there was primarily the mind of the astrologer and that the birth time, birthplace, and heavenly bodies was her tools. Those were her tool sets to help her focus her mind on getting the data out of the databases. Okay, now that was kind of what my position was at first, um, because a really good astrologer uh, is actually a, a pretty good psychic, and the two go together. You know. People in olden times uh, used to uh, foretell the future by throwing chicken bones. They'd take the chicken bones and they'd throw the chicken bones out on the ground and how they laid and the positions they were next to each other and so on would then tell the future if you had skills or with tea leaves if you had skills. You know, well, the magic isn't in the chicken bones. The magic is the the magic is in the mind, right? It's the consciousness that's collecting that information. And the chicken bones are just a tool. It's the tool that lets you get that information. And it can be a tool, at least with chicken bones, since those have a lot of, uh, of um, uncertainty in how they'll land. It's a tool that the system can use to give you information. 
if the system wants to give you some information, then it can make those chicken bones fall any way it wants to, according to the rules of how to read them, to provide you with some information. Because once you throw them into the air, how they land is so uncertain that the system can, can modify them to be however it wants to give you a message it wants. So it works both ways. But the tool allows the practitioner to get that information, and it also allows the system to give information. That becomes, those chicken bones become a communication tool. Okay. So with the astrology, is a little different than that because your birth time, birthplace, and where the locations of all the moons and planets are, it doesn't have so much uncertainty in it. <laughs> uncertainty with that is pretty small. So it would rely more on the path of it being a tool to allow the astrologer to interpret what all this means, and the interpretations would have to be complex enough that the tool would work. Now, there's another thing about astrology, other than it seems to work reasonably well for lots of people, is that the system itself, when it's making new IUOCs, okay, more people are born. So there's more people today than there were yesterday. That means we have some new, some new uh, free will awareness units have to be logged on. So as the system creates these, it creates something that's about an average IUOC. Because it doesn't want to put IUOCs in at the very bottom of the evolutionary chain. That would drag everybody down. Nor does it want to put them in at the top. That's cheating. That would help pull things up. But people have to make their own decisions in their own way and get their own consequences. So you just want to put them in somewhere in the middle where they kind of blend in. But you don't want them all to be the same. So if you just took one kind of average IUOC and did, you know, copy and then paste, you know, 2,000 of them and then put all those 2,000 in and they all were identical, that would not be good. You'd have 2,000, you know, very, very similar IOC. So the system must have some way of randomizing them so that over various sets of qualities that they might have, because they don't have any past experience to give them those qualities. So over the qualities they might have, you'd kind of select some like this, some like that. And so you'd throw out and have diversity, because diversity is a more powerful teacher than sameness. So now how might the system go about gaining that diversity? Well, it could say, well, let's take the time of birth and the place of birth and where the you know, ast you know, heavenly bodies are, and, and then we'll, we'll have this, this system, these rules we'll put together, and that will give us kind of characteristics. So the system could use something like that just to add diversity to the newcomers coming in so they all weren't the same. Or it might say, you know, take the, uh, what is it, the, um, I'm drawing a blank on that, but there's other, there's other kinds of tests of personality and type of people there are too. Briggs, Briggs, uh, somebody, somebody in Briggs or Briggs and somebody. 
Somebody help me here. What's that? Uh, Myers, Myers Briggs. There it is, Myers Briggs. So they might take like the, the, the uh, I think that breaks into something like 16 different types. So they may take, well, here's 16 different types and we'll take a random, you know, we'll take a random number generator and pick out types. And then that's what we'll give this new IUC. And then we'll throw random again and we'll pick out another type. And that's what we'll give that one. Could do something like that as well. Or it could do both. It could use the first one, the astrology stuff, to do some characteristics. And it could use Myers-Briggs. And sometimes some guy took Myers-Briggs. And instead of the 16, he got 32 because he defined spaces in between the spaces that Myers-Briggs defined. So anyway, the system needs some way of making the new IUOCs vary over the population in a normal way. So you get the same sorts of what we have. So it doesn't stand out. So, so the system itself is not biasing the results by its choices. So, I, you know, astrology could fit into that picture as one of the ways that the system could do that or part of the way that the system does that. And could have given that information to people in a meditation state so that people came up with it and, and uh, you know, found the, the right, uh, what, star clusters? gave them names, who knows how that came about, who developed that, you know, where it came from, could have come in a dream, could have come intuition, or it could have just been stumbled on by accident, but that's probably less likely. It's a pretty bizarre system to stumble on by accident, but who knows? It doesn't matter. However that came to be, then the system can always use that tool just as they can. So that's what MBT's version or attitude about about astrology is there does seem to be something to astrologers ability to say some rather meaningful things. I've experienced that myself. So you can't just throw it all out as nonsense. You also probably can't say, well, it's because of the heavenly bodies, they change the gravitational field. And because of those little changes in gravitational fields, you know, you get different sorts of people. Eh, that doesn't sound too likely those changes in gravitational field, whether the moon or something or other is here or a little bit there, it'd be a tiny, tiny little changes that would seem not something that you'd want to build a system with. So I don't see any rational cause for it, but I see that it may have a cause rooted in the way consciousness adds people to the adds IUOCs, you know, to the to the VR. And because astrologists like any psychic can get information out of the databases, can get into the future probable and the past databases and collect all sorts of things and telepathically from the experience of the person, all of that data is available to somebody who knows how to get it. And I think good astrologers are just good at gathering that data and they put it in terms of their tools. So that's kind of what I think about it. But then I also will tell you that that's not my final word on it. I really don't know how it works. I really don't know how those astrologers come up with that amazing stuff. 
and not all of them do. There's good astrologers and there's mediocre astrologers and there's really poor astrologers, just like there are in psychics. You know, but the ones who are talented will amaze you with the things that they can do. So exactly how they do that and exactly why it works, it has something to do with consciousness, obviously, and collecting data. So I think that's the connection. It's the astrologer makes the difference, not necessarily the tool they use, which is the heavenly bodies and birth time and whatever. That's very interesting. Frank has a quick follow-up question. From- yes. Thank you, Donna. Sorry for coming back Hello. in again. But now, Tom, okay. since you just said uh, maybe the system creates IUOCs with specific personality types, so now I wondered how does that fit in with what you said in response to my question with specific fears, you know, where I thought, okay, it was more about the overall level of entropy. Mm-hmm. And apart, and one more comment then I also thought that I had thought previously about that because now I remember you said that um, earlier, then if somebody believes um, they have a certain personality because they were born in a specific month, don't they then also have to believe that uh, – it's their first experience packet ever because they had just been created. But that's just a little side side thought. But the the other one is my my more urgent question. Yeah, no, um, that's not the, no, they wouldn't wouldn't come to that sort of a, a conclusion. The system just wants to put somebody in at the middle rather than putting them in someplace else. So it wants to put in a new IUOC that is, Average, similar to what's already there, but it doesn't want to put them all in to be the same. So yes, if it modifies some of their characteristics of their personality, it basically does that to make up for a lack of history. Had they been around a thousand times, they would have developed their own history, their own background, their own uh, proclivities, you might say. And now that they're starting, They need to have some proclivities and some things that they come in with just to make them normal. If they just came in with a blank, they would probably not, they'd probably stand out. They wouldn't necessarily be like everybody else. And we want them to be like everybody else pretty much. So, yes, they may come in with proclivities that lend to being this way or that way, uh, more more in charge, less in charge, uh, you know, different kinds of personality types. Helpers or non-helpers. Um, things like uh, extrovert, introvert, you know, could be some of the things that could vary. And it wouldn't necessarily vary them all to be equal numbers of all things, because if you look in the population, you may find that there's, you know, um, well, I don't know, Myers-Briggs looked at it, the population, and they said that of this particular type, the, you know, 20%, of the population is this type and 75% is that type and so many percent is this type. So they don't all have the same numbers. Sometimes you need a smaller number of, of a specific kind of personality and too many of those are a problem, but not enough of them is a problem. So the system may have figured that out just trial and error with all of the people that we've had and things that have been going on. They kind of know what mix is a good mix to be productive as an entropy reduction trainer. So they want to put out, put new 
uh, IUOCs in that fit in, that are part of that good mix. And yes, indeed. So a new person coming in might have certain proclivities toward things that just randomly came out of a random draw. But it's kind of nice. There's some there's some uh, some poetical justice in the fact that some of your characteristics would be tied to the system itself, to the virtual reality. And that is place of birth, time of birth. You see that and the fact that these things that are moving through the sky are always moving. You know, they're always in a different place and they always are seen different ways and not seen different ways according to the place and the time. So that just may be a convenient way of tying it to the virtual reality itself, rather than just making up random numbers and popping them in according to those random numbers. So I can see a little, you know, that would kind of be a neat way to do it is to tie your randomness to the actual system itself. And it would give people a way to do some prognostication, you know, give them a tool that they could use. So it, yes, people would come in with certain advantages and disadvantages, perhaps certain niches that they fit into and didn't because the system wants them to look just like everybody else. So that randomization tends to make them normal and fit in. And after that, it is what it is. You make the choices that you make and you change things. But coming in with a blank slate probably would make you stand out. But I wouldn't not say that if you, you know, if, if the astrology works, it must be your first time or something. That's, I don't think that is that transparent. I don't think anybody could make that kind of a connection. And if they could, then the system wouldn't use it. The system's only going to do it if it's, if it's uh, totally uh, uh, lost in the, you know, in the uh, variation that's normally there. Thank you. I'll, I'll think about the whole thing a bit more. And uh, yeah, thank you. All right, Tom. I'll go on to another part of Arthur's uh, question, a small part. Now, if we don't get to all of these questions, you know, we do do an addendum for the fireside chat, especially for the MBT forum users. So if your question is not read today, it will be in an addendum to this session. Um, the one of the parts that Arthur um, sent in was Tom says that the LCS is not perfect and it is finite. I get that it is always evolving, thus it is not perfect, but I can't understand why it is finite. <laughs> I have had just a lot of people stumble on this finite, infinite thing. And I suspect that none of them are statisticians. None of them are mathematics guys or physicists. Because infinity can't exist as a real thing. Infinity is a concept. If it were a real thing, it couldn't be in infinite. Why couldn't it be infinite? Okay. <clears throat> what is, you know, what is the number infinity? Give me that number. You can always add one to it. Oh, then it wasn't infinity, was it? You see, it can't exist. Any number, you know, any infinity is a is a quantity. It's a it's a size. 
It's a number of things, right? I don't mean a number of things like many things. It is a number, numbering things, you know, counting goes to infinity. You can't get to the largest possible number because you can always add something to it. And then there's got something larger than that. So it only exists as a concept. It doesn't exist as a real thing. You cannot have infinite anything unless it's conceptual. Now, conceptually, you can let any, you can let a variable go to infinity and you see that within that limit, this expression, you know, converges to something real. All right. You can do that sort of thing. That's what we, that's what we do with, with, uh, with calculus. Okay. That's how we work calculus. So you can use it as a, you can approach something can approach infinity, but it can't ever get there because infinity is just an idea. So now we're talking about the larger consciousness system. If you say it's an infinite system, it's just an idea. You're not talking about a real system that actually does anything. You're talking about just a conceptual system, an idea. But the conscious system is a real system. Consciousness is a real thing, not just an idea of a real thing. So because it's a real thing, it cannot be infinite. Now, the problem is that if you were a mathematician or a physicist or a statistician, that would all make perfect sense. But in the, in the common tongue, in the local speech, infinite doesn't mean infinite. It means big, really, really big. That's what infinite means. So you'd say, oh, you know, the, the number of ways to, you know, the number of colors that you could create out of all the colors that could be possibly created is infinite. Well, it isn't. But you mean it's really, really big. It's so big that you couldn't deal with the number of grain of sand that are on all the beaches in the world. It's infinite. It isn't really. There's a finite number of grains of sand, you know, the, the number of cubic you know, millimeters of dirt on the, on the planet. Well, if you had to dig each one up and sample it and, you know, put it in a test tube, it would seem like it was infinite, but it's not. There's just a lot of them. You know, I was, I sometimes use the analogy, if you're floating in a little inner tube and you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the ocean seems infinite to you. You see the same thing in every direction, and you've seen that same thing in every direction for the last month. Surely it's infinite. It's not. It's just really, really big. So if you use the colloquial sense of infinite as really, really big, ah, well, then the system's infinite. But it isn't really infinite because that's not what the word infinite means. Infinite has a very precise definition, whereas really, really big is not a precise definition. Infinite is the largest number that could possibly exist. Okay, that is no number, because if you ever came up with a number, I'd square it or raise it to the power of 100. And then you'd have a number that was a lot bigger than that. Or add one to it. So there is no number that's the biggest number that could possibly exist. It's just an idea. So that's why the system is not infinite, because it's a real system, nothing real is infinite. No real system can depend on 
an infinite number of bits. So it's got to have some limited number of bits. It can't have an infinite amount of energy, an infinite amount of time, an infinite amount of anything. It's just a conceptual thing, not a real thing. Okay, infinity doesn't actually exist. Can't be experienced. It can only be thought about. Well, the, the consciousness system does exist. It's a real system. So it has to have finite number of bits. And it's not going to necessarily go on for an infinite amount of time. It's just evolution. Evolution doesn't have an ending, but it doesn't mean it will exist for infinity because infinity isn't defined. It doesn't exist. So evolution just keeps on evolving. As long as there's new states to move into, evolution keeps on chugging along. There is no endpoint until you run out of possible states to evolve into. Nothing can change. You've been through every possibility that the system can produce. Then evolution would come to a halt. But with all the free wills that we have in engaging with each other, coming to the every possibility is uh, an enormous number. But that's not infinite. But yet our system continues to change. We continue to grow. Everybody's decision space gets bigger and bigger. And if you have a whole bunch of people with really small decision spaces, then there's smaller number of states that that can support. As the decision space gets bigger and bigger, the possibilities grow and get bigger and bigger too. You see? So we just don't use the word infinite to describe a real thing. That's the, that's the point. Really, really, really big. Yes. Infinite, impossible. There is no infinite anything. All right. Thank you, Tom. This has been a very interesting session. Thank you all for being here. Um, and we will see you next time. Well, time to quit already. It is. I'm, I'm surprised that time went by very quickly. Had a lot, of really, good, fast, had a, a lot of really good questions. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Oliver. Oliver's hiding out in the background somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, thanks, yes, Oliver. Thanks, Oliver. And everybody out there that hears this, uh, don't forget, you can go to Oliver's site and you can make a little donation to help Oliver uh, pay for this because he has to pay for it out of his pocket. So every once in a while, if you get to these uh, fireside chats and you think, gee, that was interesting, well, go to Oliver's site, which is matrixvision.de. Go to his site and uh, contribute a little bit to the, to the funding of uh, fireside chats because this computer time and the and the, the software we're using and so on are all uh, all cost money and uh, Oliver pays for the whole thing out of his pocket so let's help let's help him out a little bit let's help Oliver um, <laughs> he does a lot of work and it's it's late at night there in Germany so well, then, yes, we, then we better wind this up so Oliver can get to bed huh yeah yeah we will good night Oliver <laughs> <laughs> yeah. good night Oliver <laughs>
Though these videos are free to our viewers, they represent many thousands of hours in production and editing, and many thousands of dollars invested in video and audio equipment, along with the required computers and software to store and process the raw video into finished products. So far, all of this content has been funded directly out of our own pockets. Be assured, we will always continue to do what we can. It's our life, our purpose, a labor of love that we will continue to pursue as best we can. However, those pockets are not as deep as they used to be. Thus, we are now seeking to augment our resources with support from our viewers. If you find something of significant value in our videos, please consider supporting their production through our Patreon account or through a one-time donation. The links are in the description below. Thank you.